0: Hello, and welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Today we're going to talk about neurons and friendships, and also about social media and television and how they can change who you are. In 1992, a group of neuroscientists from Parma, Italy, reported a new class of brain cells. They were discovered in the motor cortex of a certain kind of monkey these cells, which were later named mirror neurons, responded during the monkey's own motor actions, but also responded the same while the monkey watched someone else perform the same action. So they looked at the brain, they saw certain cells. When the monkey picked up an object, these cells lit up. When the monkey watched another monkey pick up an object, the same cells lit up. The neuron mirrors the behavior of the other, as though the person who were watching, the monkey who were watching, were actually him or herself doing the action. Since then, the mirror neuron has been directly observed in primates. Birds have been shown to have imitative resonance behaviors. I didn't make that phrase up. That's something I read. And evidence suggests the presence of some form of mirroring system in them as well. So researchers speculated that the neurons allowed the monkey to understand others by simulating their actions in their own brain, which is wild. It's all still speculation. There are some who argue about the specifics of what's going on here. Monkeys also very close to people but not people. So while some have made the leap to say that people also have mirror neurons and others say not so fast. Some cognitive psychologists argue that mirror neurons may be important for understanding the actions of other people and for learning new skills by imitation. That's huge. Learning new skills by imitation is how we do almost everything. Walk, talk, socialize, right? Learn what's acceptable behavior and what's not. Understanding the actions of others is good for survival. It's also the seed for empathy. There's a quote that I read from someone named Christian Jarrett in a 2013 article for Wired. Mirror neurons are an exciting, intriguing discovery. But When you see them mentioned in the media, remember that most of the research on these cells has been conducted in monkeys. Remember, too, that there are many different types of mirror neuron, and that we're still trying to establish for sure whether they exist in humans and how they compare with the monkey versions. As for understanding the functional significance of these cells, Don't be fooled. That journey has just begun. We here on the show have talked about energy, capital E, energy. You walk into a room and you feel tension. It's in the air. You meet someone and instantly feel familiar and at home with them. And that's an energy exchange. That's how we've talked about that. To me, this pairs really nicely with the more esoteric theories of mirror neurons, not just the monkey see, monkey do aspects, but the empathy aspects. We may not have the scientific vocabulary for energy, capital E energy, but we may be starting to learn what cells in our body can empathize and can discern intention in other people, which means there could very well be a evolutionary scientific explanation for empathy and compassion. Okay, so we've dipped our toes into some science for just a second. Now let's take a lateral step towards Ayurveda and yogic philosophy. We all know that we are exposed to an uncountable amount of information every day. We're constantly barraged with stimulation. All of this information comes at us through our five senses. In Ayurveda, those five senses are integral to the idea of medicine, self-care, and self-healing. Because you're not just taking in information, you're also digesting it, bringing it into your awareness with whatever judgment or discernment comes attached. How you digest or metabolize every experience is an integral part of your health. You've got your senses bringing and digesting information and your neurons potentially mirroring or mimicking the actions and behavior they see around them. So the question is then for me, with what do we surround ourselves? What do we choose to digest? What are our neurons mirroring? There's an article uh, in June of this year in Scientific American, by the way, I don't normally read Scientific American or Psychology Today. I just research stuff for this show, and when I find stuff, I like to tell you where I got it. So this article was called, Do Trump Tweets Spur Hate Crimes? You could see how that's right up my alley. In it, the author cites a paper by researchers Karsten Muller and Carlo Schwartz of the University of Warwick, and that paper suggests that Donald Trump's Islamic-related tweets may be directly linked to an increase in anti-Muslim hate crimes over the past few years. Now, I'll link to this article because I'm about to quote from it. Here's what they found. They analyzed the relationship between Trump's tweets and anti-Muslim hate crimes by drawing on a number of data sources, including the FBI's hate crime data. Parenthetical editorial note, I have also read that hate crime data is notoriously not reliable for a multitude of reasons." End editorial note. Between the years of 1990 and 2016, as well as Twitter usage across the country. First, they documented the number of anti-Muslim hate crimes recorded by the FBI increased during Trump's presidency. In fact, anti-Muslim crimes have been more prevalent under Trump compared to any other previous president, including George W. Bush following 9-11. Second, the researchers found strong statistical correlations between the number of Islam-related tweets made by Trump in a single week and the number of anti-Muslim hate crimes that took place on the days and weeks that followed. Trump's anti-Islam tweets were only correlated with anti-Muslim crimes and not other types of hate crimes. Therefore, it seems likely that it was the specific content of Trump's tweets and not growing anti-minority sentiment in general that were linked to the uptick in anti-muslim hate crimes what they're finding here is correlation not causation so they're noticing a pattern in each of those two events the tweets and the hate crimes but they can't really directly find a link from one to the other i just say that because i can't prove it they can't prove it but to me it's a worthwhile thing to notice that there is a pattern there. So now let's go back to our mirror neurons. What kind of behavior do they see? What are they reflecting? If our senses are taking in more hate speech, digesting more hate speech, would it necessarily follow that our insides would then reflect what it sees and digests from the outside? You are what you eat, right? If you eat processed foods in excess made with chemicals, it makes sense that that food is harder for your body to break down, more difficult to extract energy. Our health will deteriorate over time. If you eat whole foods in season cooked appropriately, it follows that we would get energy from that food as it breaks down in a more efficient manner. So if we eat hate speech, will we get hate energy? Alternatively, if we eat, ideas formed with an open mind, at the appropriate time and place, digested with empathy and compassion, how will that change our energy? Do you see where I'm going here? It is, however, important in this moment to warn against the lure of good vibes only. I get wanting to surround ourselves with goodness and no negativity, but let's go back to our food analogy. Carrots are good. They have vitamin A from beta-carotene, biotin, vitamin K, potassium, vitamin B6. But what happens if you eat only carrots? First of all, you'll miss out on a ton of other vitamins and minerals that can only be provided by eating a variety of foods. You'll suffer a lack of protein, iron, have an excess of fiber. You'll probably have too much sugar in your system. And also, fun fact, you can turn orange. You can even have withdrawal symptoms as you try to cut back on your healthy carrot addiction. So that's my good vibes only warning. You can't do just one thing. So instead of thinking about what you ingest through all of your senses as all or nothing, I think it's beneficial to simply inquire. To think about what we're watching on TV, what we're listening to, and what we're reading. What can you add more of and what can you remove? I know the Twitter refresh habit. There are some times when before bed or if I'm procrastinating and I don't wanna do something, I'm looking at Twitter and then I get to caught up and then I go to Facebook and I read it and then I go back to Twitter and I'm flipping between these two apps and there's really no good reason other than all the science that goes behind addictive behaviors. But what I'm ingesting in those moments is not beneficial to me. There may be really valid and important news in there that I could potentially be consuming as part of a well-balanced diet of information, but instead I'm binging on processed foods and junk foods. I'm binging on negativity and hate speech and what does that do then to my system? Whether I believe directly in the theory of mirror neurons or not, you are what you eat. I definitely believe that what is surrounding you is reflected in you. So with that thought, we keep in mind that we need variety to be healthy. And even in Ayurveda, we don't necessarily strive for 100% purity. We've talked about the dangers of that goalpost before. 80-20 can be a good guide. I'll pause here to say thank you once again for listening to the show. I'm glad that it is a part of the variety of input you choose to digest on a regular basis. A few weeks ago, we talked about doing one thing, just one thing to stay human in this world. Maybe we can think of that one thing as sort of a sensory input vitamin, something that adds a positive into the mix every day for any of the five senses. If you want to share what your thing is, the one thing you do, you can share that with me. Here are ways you can reach out. On the website, yogafortherevolution.org, all our past and future episodes are there, along with their show notes, and then there's a little button on the top that says contact, and when you click it, there's a little form there. You can write me a little email. Or you can find me on social, facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution, yoga for the revolution on Instagram, and y underscore f underscore t underscore r for Twitter. If you like the show, please hop onto your podcast app of choice and rate and review us. It helps get the word out to other people that this little show exists. I read an article earlier this summer in the New York Times. Again, there'll be a link in the show notes, of course. It's by Tara Parker Pope. Maybe you saw it. I feel like it was traveling around my social media for a few days. It's called The Power of Positive People with the subhead, Are Your Friendships Giving You a Boost or Bringing You Down? The crux of the article is this, and I'll quote a bit here. While many of us focus primarily on diet and exercise to achieve better health, science suggests that our well-being also is influenced by the company we keep. Oh, hi, mirror neurons and Ayurvedic science. The article goes on specifically to speak about community, citing a specific example here in Okinawa, Japan, a place where the average life expectancy for women is around 90, the oldest in the world. People form a, a kind of social network, a group of five friends who offer social logistic, emotional, and even financial support for a lifetime. Now, whether you have a formal support structure in place, like the women of Okinawa, or just a group of friends, this is a really interesting perspective and aligns directly with the Ayurvedic thought that everything you take in contributes to your health, positively or negatively, not just food and physical fitness. What do we eat? What do we read? Who is our community? Now, some of these things we can choose, and some of these things we have less control over. But again, simply worth the inquiry. The team mentioned in the article has created a quiz to help people assess the positive impact of their own social network. Of course, I will link to it in the show notes as well. It asks about your friends and the state of their health, how much they drink, eat, and exercise, as well as their general outlook The goal of the quiz is not to get you to dump what they deem as unhealthy friends, but just to identify the people in your life who score the highest, and then maybe you might choose to spend more time with them. I took it. They email you the results, which basically range from, hey, these people are a great influence. Hang out with them more. Or these people, maybe not so much. Maybe you could be a healthy influence on them. And then there are others that score... Potentially lower and they suggest maybe look at why you're hanging out with these people at all Take it if you like. Let me know how it turns out You also don't necessarily have to take a quiz to do this, but sometimes it's helpful to have structure Around these kind of subjective questions for now. I'll encourage you to observe what sensory information you take in When you have free time, what do you choose to feed yourself on TV, on social, out in the world. And notice if you have a healthy diet from all food groups for all five senses. Until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.